Ladies podcast where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all over the world. We're your hosts. I'm Lizzie and I'm Zoe. And today, Lizzie, who are we talking about? Today we're going into Chinese mythology and we're talking about Chang'e, who is the Chinese goddess of the moon. Ooh. So, do you know anything about her? Um, I pretty much knew what you just said, um, that she's Chinese, uh, she's the goddess of the moon. I think there might be something involving a rabbit, but that's about there it. There might be. Alrighty. <laughs> yeah, so first, a bit of background on Chinese mythology. Mm-hmm. So in China, there is no one recorded canon that unifies mythology, and there also weren't people who went around recording various myths and writing them down into a systematic and integrated mythology like there was for example in ancient greece Mm -hmm. um so in ancient china myths were scattered around in various written sources cool and also china has many ethnic groups each group has their own body of myths and um these various myths are rich not only in amount but also in types themes and motifs Mm-hmm. For example, there are more than 10 types of myths explaining the origin of humans. Mm-hmm. So, like, for example, there's one or some that say that humans were made by gods. Some say that humans were sown from seeds. Some that they were transformed from animals, etc. That's cool. Yeah, it's really interesting. And uh, the largest ethnic group in China is the Han people. Mm-hmm. And today's myth is also from the Han people as the source I'm using focused primarily on Han myths. Gotcha. So now we'll go into the story. So there was a god called Di Jun, or Emperor Jun, Mm -hmm. who was one of the supreme gods in ancient times. He had two consorts named Shi He and Chong Shi, and Shi He gave birth to ten sons, and that's sun with a U, like the sun in the sky. So she gave birth to ten sons. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> and they lived on the Fusong tree, which was a giant mulberry tree said to be so big that a thousand men standing with outstretched arms couldn't encircle its trunk. Interesting. And when one sun finished its work and came back home, another sun would go and take its place. So basically, they had this exchange where one would be out in the sky at a time and the others would be waiting on the Fusong tree for their turn. So is there, like, um, any record of, like, Dividing the days by ten or anything by each of the suns? Not to my knowledge. Um, okay. Knowing the rest of the myth, I want to say no. Okay. But I can't tell you for sure. All right, yeah. It's just interesting that, you know, you have t- ten different suns as opposed to, you know, one unified sun uh, character that's yeah. taking turns. Well. Okay. We'll see later on. Okay. So... <laughs> Shiha often bathed the sons at the Gan Gulf beyond the East Sea, and Chongxi, the other wife, gave birth to twelve moons, and she mm. bathed the moons at Mount Ruyue. Okay. Not an even number of moons to sons. Yeah, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. 
After a few hundred years, the ten sons grew tired of this routine, and they didn't want to wait to go out into the world. They wanted to go out into the sky and play together. Oh, that's kind of nice. Yeah, so it is. <laughs> well, <laughs> so one morning, all of the sons flew up from the Thusong tree into the sky, and they had such a good time that they vowed they would never be parted. Okay. But, as you can imagine, while the sons were enjoying themselves in the sky, the people of Earth were suffering. Yes. They burned crops, dried up the grasses and woods, caused the lakes and rivers to boil, and caused the rocks to melt. And this resulted in the death of thousands of humans. Oh, no. <laughs> so the people turned to their emperor, Emperor Yao, who begged Dijun to take pity on his subjects. So he ordered his sons to stop their nonsense and return to the Fuslong tree, but they paid him no attention. Oh, no. <laughs> so Dijun was lost for options, so he turned to the immortal archer Ho Yi, and he gave him a magnificent red bow with white arrows. Uh-oh. And he told him to frighten his sons into obedience. So Ho Yi goes down to Earth to obey Dijun's orders. But when he gets there, he sees the suffering of the humans, and he's filled with rage. Mm. So the time for peaceful measures was passed, and the false sons must be destroyed or life on Earth would disappear. Oh, no. <laughs> So he had ten arrows, one for each son, and he began to shoot them down one after the other. Mm -hmm. Emperor Yao was worried that he would shoot down all the sons and plunge the world into eternal darkness, so he had someone take away the last arrow so he couldn't shoot the last son down. So one son remained to give light and warmth to the earth. Is that Chekhov's arrow? Like, is the arrow going to come back later? You, I don't know if you're going to tell me or not. No, it's not. Okay, then fine. <laughs> It's not going to come back later. I actually didn't think about that. That makes sense. Yeah, no, they just, they just take the arrow and then it's gone. There's a Greek myth that reminds me of um, when Helios lets his son drive the sun chariot. Oh, yeah. Um, but he does it really badly and he like goes too high and the earth starts to freeze and he goes too low and the earth starts to scorch. Oh, yeah. And then eventually Zeus like just smites him with a lightning bolt and then he dies. Mm -hmm. Totally. <laughs> and it's... it's it reminds me of I that. Had, I had forgotten about that one, but you're right. Anyway, so, after this, he returns to heaven and to his wife, Chang'e, mm -hmm. who was waiting for him. So, Chang'e was renowned throughout China for her beauty. She had pale, milky skin, hair as black as night, and lips like cherry blossoms. Interesting. But, unfortunately for Ho Yi... Jun was also waiting for him, and he was angry that he killed his sons. So he banished him and his wife from heaven, and they had to live on Earth as mortals. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah but uh, Chang'e was not happy with that, and she begged her husband until he agreed to visit Shi Wangmu, also known as Queen Mother of the West, who guarded the elixir of immortality. Ooh. So Shi Wangmu agreed to give it to him, but told him that he would only need half of the elixir to become immortal. So it was going to be like, he had half, and then she had the other half, and they were going to become immortal together. I just need to give two bottles. Two smaller bottles of the elixir. Yeah. <laughs> all, all problems would be solved if they just didn't do things like this. I know. But Chang'e discovered her husband's gift and began to devise a plan. Mm. So that night, she found the elixir under their bed and drank every last drop. 
Oh, no. And uh, then she flew to the moon, and uh, later that night, realizing that his wife was not in bed with him, Hoagie ran outside to find her drifting into the night sky. Wow. So Hoagie was so angry that he grabbed his bow and tried to shoot Chang'e down, but he so missed every the shot. So there's the arrow. I guess so. <laughs> Maybe that's the same arrow. <laughs> One of them must have, but then there You're was a right. bunch of others, so... Yes. So as time went by, Ho Yi's anger subsided and he began to miss his wife. And he would often stare up at the moon and think about how lonely Chang'e must be. And in the hopes that it might make her feel less alone and to show that he was no longer mad at her, Ho Yi started leaving her favorite desserts and fruits out every night. He continued this practice until the day he died. And this tradition continues today as many people leave annual offerings to Chang'e during the Mid-Autumn Festival. Oh, yeah. On August 15th of the lunar year. Like, those are the moon cakes, right? Yes, exactly. They're yeah. moon cakes. I've seen those, yeah. Well, that's really nice. I'm glad he stopped being angry. <laughs> yes, but uh, that's only one version of the story. Oh. So, another version. The first part is the same. Ho Yi shoots down nine of the ten sons. And then an unspecified immortal, so not Shi Wangmu, but somebody we don't know, I guess, admired Ho Yi and sent him the elixir of immortality. Mm-hmm. Ho Yi did not want to leave Chang'e and be immortal without her, so he let Chang'e keep the elixir. Mm-hmm. But one of Ho Yi's apprentices, whose name was Fong Mong, found out about this secret, and on August 15th in the lunar calendar, Fang Meng broke into Ho Yi's house and tried to steal the elixir. He tried to force Chang'e to give it to him, but mm. she refused, instead swallowing it all and flying into the sky. Okay. And uh, Chang'e chose the moon as her residence because she didn't want to be too far away from her husband, because she loved him. Oh. Yeah, and when Ho Yi came back and learned what happened, he was so sad that he displayed Chang'e's favorite fruits and cakes in the yard and gave sacrifices to her. Mm. And the people soon learned about this, and since they were so sympathetic to Chong'e and Ho Yi, they participated in the sacrifices as well. And this is the origin of the Mid-Autumn Festival. Okay. Yes. So we're going to talk about one last version. Okay. (laughs) So, in another version, Chong'e has a completely different motivation for drinking the elixir. Mm. After Ho Yi shot down nine of the ten sons, he was pronounced king by the people. But okay. he soon became a conceited and tyrannical ruler who asked for the elixir of immortality from Shi Mu for himself because he wanted to live forever. Okay. So Chang'e stole it on the 15th of August so Ho Yi couldn't live long and hurt more people. Mm. And then she fled to the moon and became the spirit of the moon. Ho Yi died soon because he was overcome with great anger. Oh. And uh, now people commemorate Chang'e's sacrifice by offering her favorite desserts on every August 15th of the lunar year. Interesting. Yeah, I like that version. Yeah, it's very interesting. So we have three different versions that are all very similar. So that means that probably... The key points are the same, but the, the motivations and stuff are different. So, like, each of the things that were changed were probably changed to, you know, further specific agendas or ideas. Probably. But, uh, okay, so in some versions, Chang'e is said to transform into an ugly toad 
after she escapes to the moon as punishment for her behavior of stealing the precious elixir and forsaking her husband. Awesome. And in Han iconography, a toad often appears in the moon, standing on its hind legs, holding a pestle and pounding the elixir of mortality in a mortar. I, li- I really love that. I love toads. <laughs> and many scholars think this toad is Chang'e. She has been punished and transformed into a toad and has to pound the elixir for all time. Mm, it's sad. It is. And in some other versions, the creature pounding the elixir in the moon is a rabbit. Ah. And since it's pure white, it is often called the jade rabbit. And in some later iconography or literature, Chang'e is often depicted as a beautiful goddess holding the jade rabbit in her arms, or the jade rabbit is pounding the elixir while Chang'e is not working at all. Okay. So, to give you, like, a brief timeline of these different versions. Mm-hmm. So, early traces of the myth were found in the 5th century BC that mentioned her stealing the elixir from Shiwangmu. So, in the earliest ones, Hoi isn't mentioned. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the beginning of the Han Dynasty in 200 BC, a more complete story is found where Hoi appears and gets the elixir of immortality from Shiwangmu. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of reading between the lines, I feel like the earlier depictions were not very sympathetic of Chang'e. Mm-hmm. But after the Sixth Dynasty's era in 386 to 589 CE, Chang'e's story gradually receives more sympathy. Okay. So many poems written during this era and during the Tang Dynasty from 618 to 907 CE showed, on the one hand, blame of Chang'e for her theft of the elixir and abandonment of her husband. And on the other hand, sympathy for her lonely and dreary life alone on the cold and shadowy moon. Mm -hmm. And in these poems, she's usually described as a beautiful goddess, and her transformation into the ugly toad basically becomes forgotten. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because then there's no, like, divine punishment for her actions, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, which is is good. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so today, Chang'e symbolizes women's beauty, gentleness, elegance, and quietness. Mm. And she frequently appears as a charming and graceful figure in literature, cartoons, paintings, poems, operas, novels, and other creative works. Mm. In particular, at the Mid-Autumn Festival held every 15th of August in the lunar calendar. Uh, Chang'e's figure commonly adorns the moon cake boxes along with the bright full moon, the kasha tree, and the jade rabbit. Nice. So, what are your overall thoughts on uh, her story? Um, I think it's a really interesting story. I think it's really interesting that she went to the moon specifically. Um, yeah. And it also makes sense because it was like probably a very far but also very visible point that people could see. Yeah. And it's interesting um, that uh, it makes sense that she, uh, this portrayal started out kind of negatively because um, if I recall correctly, uh, the Han Dynasty was not very favorable towards women. You know, it was a time of like uh, Confucianism and the idea that women need to, you know, be very submissive to their husbands. And so, um, I mean, those ideas are very much found in the versions of the story where she betrays her husband and he shoots at her and she's punished by being turned into an ugly toad who pounds um, the elixir forever on the moon. And then therefore she's like subject to like laboring forever on the moon and like doing household chores forever on the moon, basically like household work. Yeah. 
And so, and then, um, I think it's cool that, like, she developed into more of, like, a folk hero later. Yeah. Um, you know, and, like, a symbol. It's a more sympathetic yeah. telling. Mm-hmm. And I also think it's really interesting how, like, a lot of versions of the story really do, like, depict love between a woman and her husband. Like, even though um, the first version you said where he shoots at her, obviously that's not good. But eventually he forgives her. Um, yeah. And then he misses her. And um, he's displaying those, you know, fruits and cakes for her year after year until he dies, which is very sweet. It is. And then, um, you know, of course, the other version where he really wanted to share it with her and she did also wanted to share it with him and she had to drink it in order to protect it from, like, you know, a thieving servant um, really um, also demonstrates that. And, you know, his in his... Again, the festival results out of his grief um, and love for her. And I just, I think that is very sweet. Um, And I think that, you know, cakes and fruits is just like such a nice way to celebrate one's love for someone. It is. It's sweet. You know, her favorite cakes and her favorite fruits and like displaying them and like her looking down from the moon and seeing them and knowing that like he's thinking of her and everyone else in the town like sympathizing with him and celebrating her as well. And yeah, it's a really nice origin for the holiday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so now we'll go into some etymology. Oh, alrighty. Okay, so preface this by saying I am not a native Chinese speaker, but I am going to try to pronounce the tones correctly. So apologies if I get them wrong, but I am going to try. Okay, so her name with tones is pronounced Chong'e. This consists of two characters with rising tones. The first character, Chong, is completely unique to her name, oh. which is interesting. Yeah. And the second character, E, means beautiful young woman. So originally her name was Hong E, but had to be changed because there was a similar character used in the name of Emperor Liu Hong, who was an emperor in the Han Dynasty, and mm-hmm. it was considered taboo for an emperor to have the same name as another cultural figure. So her name was changed to Chong'e. Yes, with her own special character. Yeah, so they basically made up a new name for her. Yeah. Which is cool. That shows how important she is. Yeah, definitely. And her name could also be used to poetically refer to the moon, which is pretty nice. Yeah. Um, So I mentioned earlier Chong'e, who was the mother of the Twelve Moons. Mm -hmm. Um, So this can be interpreted to mean that she literally gave birth to Twelve Moons, but it can also be interpreted that she was a mythological symbol of female reproduction who gave birth to the lunar calendar cycle. So basically that she created the 12 months. Yeah, I was thinking about that, you know, 12 being the perfect number for calendars. Yeah, 12 months in a year. It's great. And um, because of their names being so similar, Chongxi and Chongye are often confused for each other. Um, and also they both have associations with the moon. Mm-hmm. So the Chong in Chongxi is pronounced the same. They both have a rising tone, but it's a different character because they're written similarly but differently. Okay. And the Chong in Chongxi is also a surname and it also means common or often. And then the other okay. character, Xi, is a character used in names, but it can also mean West. And it's also the same character used in Xi He the mother of the ten sons, and in Shiwang Lu, yeah. the queen mother of the West. 
Okay. Which I found interesting. Yeah. Chengxi was also an ancient lunar goddess, and mentions of Chengxi actually predate mentions of Chengde, but it's believed that both of them derived from an earlier ancient lunar goddess. Chengxi and Shihe together are a representation of yin and yang, which is the ancient Chinese concept of dualism, oh. describing how two seemingly opposite forces can actually be complementary and interconnected. So basically, Chengxi and Shihe represent the lunar and solar calendars, respectively. Interesting. Yeah, that that's, makes sense. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah, and now I'm trying to think about how that the ten suns plays into the solar calendar, but I don't know enough about astronomy to. Yeah, I don't know why it was specifically ten suns. There's probably yeah. a reason for that. Yeah, but, but I mean, there's I only one now, so maybe it was just like a nice even number. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Chang'e has been associated with lunar exploration since 1969. Really? So, what happened in 1969? Do you the know? The moon landing. Yes, exactly. The moon landing. Um, Apollo 11 landed on the moon in 1969. Okay, so, on the trip over there, Houston flight controller Ronald Evans told Michael Collins, an astronaut on Apollo 11, about the ancient Chinese legend, saying there might be a beautiful Chinese girl who's been there for 4,000 years with a large white rabbit as a companion. And Michael Collins responded, okay, we'll keep a close eye out for the bunny girl. And that was ascribed Mm. to um, Buzz Aldrin for a long time, but then it was later corrected to be Michael Collins. Interesting. Yes, and it must be like a pretty famous quote because yeah. it was on wikipedia <laughs> definitely anyway and it must be must have been really like a well-known legend that like americans during the cold war knew about it and were telling each other about it yeah must have been mm-hmm. which is pretty interesting and also there was also an impact crater on the moon which is called chong ngo which if you're wondering why it's chong ngo instead of chong Here's my official guess. Mm. I think it has to do with the fact that in Cantonese, Minnan and Hakka, which are all Chinese languages, Chang'e's name is pronounced, the second character is pronounced like Ngo. In Cantonese mm-hmm. and Hakka, it's like Sungo, And in Minnan, it's like Shungo, roughly something like that. And so mm-hmm. I'm thinking that Chang'e comes from that. That makes sense. Yeah, it's not like explicitly said why it's Chang'e instead of Chang'e. I also know that uh-huh. Chang'e's name can sometimes be romanized with an O instead of an E. But okay. anyway, but the Chang'e impact crater is part of a larger crater called Alphonsus, which is located on the lunar highlands on the eastern end of Mare Nubium. Cool. So yeah, it's on the moon and you can look at it online, actually, if you're yeah, interested. Yeah, so she... Yeah, so she's officially on the moon. Yeah, exactly. Which is pretty nice. In 2007, China launched its first lunar probe named Chang'e-1. In 2010, they released their second lunar probe called Chang'e-2. And in 2013, they released Chang'e-3. And in 2018, they released Chang'e-4. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And along with Chang'e-3, they also released a rover called U-2, which means Jade Rabbit. And the Chinese Lunar Exploration Program is also sometimes called the Chang'e Project. Wow. 
That's really cool. So she must be like heavily associated with the moon in China. Yeah. Because all of the lunar probes are called Chang'e. Mm-hmm. Like there's definitely all, there's gonna be like eight of them, I think, by 2027. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's like, pretty interesting. She, yeah, she's like the moon character. Yeah, she really is, which is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. And it's so cool how she was first mentioned in like what 500, 500 BC. Yes. And well, I she guess still when think traces were found of her story. It could have been earlier than that. Oh yeah, definitely. And she's still like heavily, um, like a huge part of culture and and celebrated every like, year and celebrated in the two thousands. Like that's what twenty five hundred years at least. Yeah, which is crazy. That's crazy. And like, I believe the Mid Autumn Festival started being celebrated in the Tang Dynasty, which was around six hundred CE. Oh. And that's, yeah, that's interesting that it was only celebrated in the Tang Dynasty. Yeah. But before then, there was, like, celebrations of the Harvest Festival or something. Mm. But then, officially, it was a celebration in the Tang Dynasty, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense, because that was around when the more sympathetic portrayals of her were showing up, right? Yeah, exactly. So then they were like, yeah, let's actually celebrate her instead of just be like, oh, she's a toad. Yeah. So something I find interesting, her personalities are pretty conflicting across versions. And one, she's greedy mm-hmm. and vindictive. And one, she's sort of a martyr guarding the elixir from someone who would use it for evil, presumably. And one, she's mm-hmm. kind and cares about the people above all. She's said to be quiet, gentle, and elegant, which I feel like is more in line with the second two stories I told where she guards, where she cares about mm-hmm. guarding the elixir. Or saving the people from Hou Yi, and I found that characterization of her interesting because I feel like the moon as a concept is sort of more understated and elegant, but maybe I'm projecting human qualities onto it, but anyway, <laughs> I feel like that characterization is pretty in line with the moon. Yeah, um, the moon has always been like, I think, or at least in my understanding of how the moon is portrayed, it's always associated with more like quote-unquote feminine ideas, so a lot more of like yeah. gentleness and, you know, beauty and like caring as opposed to the sun, which is a lot more fierce and warrior. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that makes sense for her portrayal. And I do also think the story where she is um, protecting the people against her husband who's become a very vindictive ruler is very interesting um did you say where time period that came from uh no i don't know specifically that one but it was definitely one of the later ones yeah i mean i'm just guessing there's probably some political commentary in there um probably like i don't know obviously don't know enough details to say anything specifically but that would make a lot of sense yeah and then she becomes a lot more of like this a hero to try yeah. and save them from like corrupt emperors. Yeah. And it's interesting that like she becomes the villain in the first story because like her main crime is uh wanting to be immortal again after she's been kicked out of um like the sort of the heavens and like she sort of assuming that her husband was hiding it from her. So then again, her main crime is maybe not trusting her husband and listening to him. It's an interesting read. Maybe you're right. Like, and, you know, just being greedy and selfish, quick thinking, and not listening to, not waiting to stop and hear what he has to say. Yeah. 
definitely more of a negative portrayal. Mm-hmm. But still pretty interesting. Mm-hmm, definitely. And also, um, it's interesting that, like, she only had to drink half of it to become immortal, but she drank all of it. So, like, the idea of double immortality is you're going, you fly up to the moon. <laughs> yeah, she just wanted it all to herself, and Hoagie gets mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, also... I suppose that's, like, in a way, like, the double immortality thing is, like, sort of built into the elixir that, like, if you become too, like, proud, Uh, if you have, like, hubris, this is your punishment, like. Having to pound the mortar and pestle forever. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, for me, at least, I feel like a lot of moon goddesses, they're associated with the moon because they're just powerful and they were assigned moon-related powers from the beginning, often in, like, creation stories. Mm-hmm. But for Chang'e, she becomes goddess of the moon when she flies there, so it's much more purposeful. Like, she chooses the moon specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like, she chooses her own domain. Yeah, which is, which is interesting. And her reasons for choosing the moon also vary across versions. In some, she's not really given a motivation. It just sort of says that she flies to the moon, but doesn't really say why. But I think it's interesting that she gets to choose her own domain, and that she does so... Not by any sort of, like, fate or destiny type thing, but because she was just escaping and she needed a place to live. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I also find it interesting that depictions of her life as a moon goddess, it's often depicted as very lonely and sad. In mm-hmm. some, she gets a rabbit as a companion, but generally she's alone and quite lonely. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a negative thing, like a dreary existence being the goddess yeah. of the moon. There is a poem by a Tang Dynasty poet called Li Shangyin, which has the line... Chang'e must regret stealing the elixir of life, blue sea and blue sky, night after night in her heart. Mm-hmm. And there's an idiom in that, in the second line of that, which literally is jade sea, blue sky, that refers to the color of the sea and sky merging into one endless void. And it describes extreme loneliness, particularly of a widow. So, wow. like, another translation of that line would be, like, night after night, she bitterly faces the endless blues, seas, and skies alone. Wow. Yeah, so this is pretty interesting. And you can read it with, like, any of the versions. Like, in the one where she steals the elixir greedily, you can read it like that's her punishment for being so greedy, now she has to be lonely forever. In the one where she drinks the elixir to save the people from Hoagi, you can read it like that's her huge sacrifice for the people. She lives a life of eternal loneliness in order to save the people from a miserable eternity with Hoi as their ruler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also interesting that, like, it's an expression commonly associated with widows. And, like, she's suffering from her lack of husband. Yeah, she's, like, she's in grief, sort of. Yeah. Which obviously makes sense, especially in the second version of the story where she really loved her husband. Yeah. Um, And sort of the first one where, like, they seem to have a relatively positive relationship, though fluctuated Somewhat. a bit. Yeah, probably. But then the third relation, the third version, that doesn't really make sense because she like must have fallen out of love with him. And but of course, then there's the possibility that like she still felt regretful that this is how he became as a person, and yeah. that this is how he developed and having to stop him, but knowing it was the only way. Yeah. So thank you for listening to our episode. Please make sure to subscribe and leave us a review if you so desire. And we'll be back again next week with another episode. Thank you. Bye.
Mythaladies podcast is produced by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. Today's episode was researched and presented by Elizabeth LaCroix. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Mythaladies and visit us on our website at mythaladies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Caillot. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thanks for listening. See you next week.